Hello, and welcome to Landy's Taiwan Diaries. My name is Celia Landman, but most people just call me Landy. Today we have a guest, and what is special about this guest is that he is in America. But thanks to technology and the technological expertise of our producer, we can chat with this guest. doesn't even sound as if he's on a telephone. It sounds like he's right here in the room with us. And the guest, let me not keep you in suspense any longer. The guest is my old friend, Lee Mooney, who now lives in America, but who lived in Taiwan for many, many, many years. And after I've now boasted so much about the technology, let me just check. Lee, are you there? I am here. <laughs> okay. okay. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for, for the trouble of joining us. No, thanks for inviting me. And I understand that this will be your 50th episode. That's right. It's episode 50, 50, and we've planned it for a while to have you. So I'm honored. I'm honored <laughs> to be on your 50th episode. So thank you for that. No, no problem. We are, we are very happy to, to have this talk with you. Now, um, Lee was also a teacher here in Taiwan long ago, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Because it's, uh, our program is about Taiwan, so most of our talk is going to be about Taiwan. But we'll also talk to Lee a little bit about what he's doing now over there in America. All right, Lee, so let's begin. Now, you actually came to Taiwan before me, and I've been here a very long time. Can you tell our listeners when you actually came here and why? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you came in 1994, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Right. Okay. Yeah, so I did, I was there four years before you. Wow. And, you know, over the years, I'm sure it's the same with you. You were asked many times, why did you come to Taiwan, right? Yes. And I always had an answer, but sometimes I really didn't know if what I was saying reflected the uh, the true situation, because I, I could answer when I was in university, I became interested in Asia. I became interested in travel. I wanted to travel. And at the time, this was the late 80s, I had originally planned to go to China to teach the English teachers in China. But right at the time that I was supposed to go, Tiananmen Square happened, the incident happened there. So I was unable to go, and then I had to change my plans. And long story short, I wound up coming to Taiwan on my own on March 5th, 1990. Wow. And, and you, you came here with or without a job? No job. No job. Just a ticket for six months. And my original plan was if I liked it, I would stay for six months. If I didn't like it and had a hard time adapting, what have you. I would stay for two weeks and think, well, at least I had a good vacation. <laughs> I see. 30 wow. years later, <laughs> 30 years later, uh, I was still I was still in Taiwan. So you know what happened. Yeah. So things are so different now. The, the, the English teachers who now arrive in Taiwan, mm -hmm. uh, I've mentioned this before, they, they, they arrive here with already job lined up. Somebody meets them at the airport and all that. But right. we, didn't, we didn't have that exactly like that. Okay, so now, 1990, you arrived, mm -hmm. and um, I'm sure, now I have mentioned this as well in previous episodes, how things have changed here. How about for you, between 1990 and when you left a few years ago, did things change a lot in Taiwan? Oh, my gosh, yeah. And, well, 1990, they were just building the first MRT line to the zoo that was being built, that was just under construction. And so everyone depended on the bus and scooters. 
yes. know, to get around. So that was a big change. But I think the biggest change, honestly, was not so much solely something that happened solely in Taiwan. It was technology, the internet. I think the internet changed everything because when I first came to Taiwan in 1990, and I would say all the way through the 90s, young people especially, I thought they were much different from young people elsewhere. But I think the internet has kind of, I don't know, it it has made the world smaller in certain ways. So now I think younger people in one country have a lot more in common with younger people in another country than a younger person in America has in common with me, if that makes sense. I could put two young people, one young person from Taiwan, one young person from America, and maybe language differences notwithstanding, because they both grew up with the internet, I think they would have more in common, perhaps, than I would with the young person from America, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and, and more in common than, than in 1990, when, when people were more separated before they got right. into right? right, right. Yes. Now, your, your stay in Taiwan was actually not a continuous stay. About halfway through or somewhere there, you actually went back to America. Can you tell us about that, why you did that? Because then you returned after. Yeah, the first time I, I came in 1990, stayed, except for vacations, back to America. I stayed continuously until 1999, at which time I went back because my father was ill at the time. He has since passed away. And I went back to help care for him. And I also went back to get my master's degree. So that was from 1999 until 2003. And then 2003, I came back. And because I had a master's, I was able to teach at a university. So that's what I did from 2003 until 2020. Uh, And that's when I came back to America the second time because my mother was was, uh, not doing too well. And she has also since passed away. Right. Those are the reasons I left. It wasn't easy to leave. It wasn't easy to leave. And if I recall... You left at one time too. You were not here. Didn't you leave for a short time in the in the nineties? Oh my goodness. I'm gonna get questions as well. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I actually stayed um I stayed a little bit less than two years, you know. I stayed like I believe it was eighteen months. And then I decided, okay, this part of my because in those days I was still a traveler, you know. This is the, mm-hmm. the end of this part of my traveling. I'm now going to go back for a while and then I'm going to teach in Japan. So right. uh, in those days, like we just said a few minutes ago, you didn't actually arrive in a country with a job. You had to go there. People in those days, they wanted to see you in the country and then they will interview you quickly and so on. But um, so it didn't work out. I wrote to like 40 language schools in Japan and uh, only one answered and said, uh, well, it's better if you come here. So, so then I said, OK, then I'll go to Korea then. And then on my way to Korea, I stopped in London, but my friend in London said to me, hey, man, why do you want to do something brand new? Go back to your old school. And that's when I called our old ex-director of our program where you and I both taught. And then that's that's I came back as well. Yeah, just like you. But didn't you prefer that? So when when I first came to Taiwan, when you first came to Taiwan, there was something liberating, kind of exciting about not having the job lined up for you, but just going to different places and just see what happened. It was kind of exciting then. Very. It was very exciting. Right. And I think both of you and I both were fairly lucky in that respect. You know, we, we came here with nothing. I, I came here with hardly any money. And um, 
And after a few days, I had a job. So I think that was very exciting and also a lot of good fortune there in, on my part anyway. I don't know. How about you? Were you lucky? Yeah, same here. If it hadn't been, because I had a lot of <laughs> ups and downs the first two years, I'll just say that. Part of it was my fault. Part of it was just, yeah, maybe some bad luck or just trying to get a feel for Taiwan. It takes a while. It's totally different from... And I, I hadn't traveled as much as you. I think before you came to Taiwan, you had already traveled quite a bit. I had only taken a trip to Mexico once. And that right, was right. Uh, yeah, so that was it. That was it. So Taiwan was my first time traveling. Well, that was then I tell you what, you you did very well not getting a massive culture shock because I know many young people who came to Taiwan was their first or second country and they some of them actually ran back to America in the middle of the night, you know. I know some did, but I, I just think yeah, Taiwanese—they made it easy for us, <laughs> you know. Yeah, really. I mean, it, it did. I I did have some trouble adapting at first, but I think once I became established as a teacher, and once I decided, okay, if I'm going to stay in Taiwan, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm not going to be this. I'm not going to be that. I'm here as a teacher. And once I decided that, and once I had a little bit of success. And, you know, students teach us how to teach, right? So if we mess up at the beginning, students have a way of letting us know that we need to make changes. So once I became accustomed to teaching and decided that was my job, things started to get better. Right. Did you also, uh, I, I, I forgot now, did you also in the beginning teach both children and adults or was it uh, never children? <laughs> well, out, out of desperation, yeah, I had a because I didn't have any other jobs. So the, this one place, it was across from where we taught, where I wound up teaching for so many years. It was a children's school. And I went in there for an interview, but one of the teachers who was there did not show up. So the person interviewing me said, here's a book, maybe you can start now. Oh, so I, I went in the classroom and you know, everyone thinks, oh, I love kids, I can do it. Well, I couldn't. <laughs> Yeah. And after six weeks, I was uh, questioning whether I could teach at all. And I was ready to leave Taiwan, not because I didn't like Taiwan, but because I didn't think that I would be able to earn a living as a teacher. So my confidence was shot. And it wasn't until I came back to where, where you and I taught for so many years. And uh, I want to thank Terry Wu on here for uh, giving me a chance to teach there and yeah, if it hadn't been for that, I pro probably would have left Taiwan. Wow, so yeah. I did teach children, but for only six weeks. Yes, good. I think that was a good move. And no one ever asked me to do it again. <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> want to tell you that that school you just referred to, where you and I taught, and Terry Wu was the director, that school, uh, I did send you a, a video some time ago to show you that that whole building has been demolished. Yes. And yeah. they are now... They are now, you know how it is in Taiwan, they demolish a building and then for a while nothing happens. But now they're actually starting to construct the new building right there. So, uh, but I'm guessing... Can we say the name of that school? Are we allowed? Yes, I think we can, <laughs> we can say this. It was uh, in the beginning when you and I joined, it was called ELS, right? ELS or ELSI. ELSI, it was a fran an American franchise, right? Right, right. I, yeah, then, yeah, originally it was. It was, and then, but soon after I joined, the owner changed it to Kurgian, which was always the Chinese name, right? Right, that's right. Yeah, that was the school. Anyway, it, that building is gone, gone, and there's something new coming up there. But luckily, you and I don't work there anymore. So now, how, 
How about this, Lee? Um, when you were here, what kinds of things did you like about being in Taiwan? Well, as you know, I'm from Maryland, and it's probably like you. Uh, you come from South Africa, which so both places, Baltimore, which is in Maryland, has a reputation as being dangerous. Uh, I'm sure where you where I grew up, however, was not dangerous. Uh, I'm guessing it's the same with you in South Africa. There are many dangerous areas, but I'm guessing where you grew up was fine. Correct. Yes. Yeah, that's okay. Right. So anyway. Baltimore is a nice city. I would love to visit Baltimore more often, but I avoid it because it's dangerous. So in Taipei or any city in Taiwan, I could walk anywhere. I could go anytime, anywhere, any time of day or night and feel completely safe. That was the immediate impression I had about Taiwan is how safe it is. I never in all my years, things happen, you know, things will happen anywhere, but by and large, Taiwan is a is a very safe place, especially when you compare it to cities in America. Yeah, that's also what I usually tell people: is that just the safety here is the is this wonderful. There are many other great things as well, but sure, sure, definitely. If you have yeah. to like uh, just emphasize one thing, then it's uh, probably the safety, right? Yeah, the safety. If someone asks me first, and then of course. It's almost a cliche, right? But you say the people are friendly, but but it is true, especially as a foreigner. And again, once I started accepting the fact that I was a teacher, things became better because you were ex you were respected for your job, and I'm sure you probably felt that way too. It, it was your job that made you feel secure, and you got respect from students, and that made living in Taiwan just. A joy for the very true part. i mean the, the great thing and i've mentioned this in, in previous episodes also is that in taiwan the the students they they still have even today you know and much more uh, 30 years ago they have a lot of respect for the teacher you know even though we were not even right. school teachers we were language school teachers that it was uh, right it was yeah it was great that's another great thing yeah was there anything that you couldn't get used to or could you accept every, anything when you were here well, again, the first two years, there were just so many, my moods would fluctuate wildly sometimes. One day I would feel on top of the world. The next day I would, just, everything would be going wrong. And I'm saying, what, what am I doing wrong? You know, <laughs> so there, there was a lot of that. And I guess, I guess that's culture shock. Right? Yes, yes. Even though I wasn't aware of it at the time, I guess that's what I was going through. But, but also getting to know myself a little bit better took some time. Yes. Because, as I said, I hadn't really you, you really find out a lot about yourself when you travel away from your home environment. Yeah. And, and also, if you are alone, there's nobody really for support. Right. You have to figure out your own stuff. Yeah. But things yeah, I, I can't think of the food. I got used to the food quickly. Uh, the language barrier wasn't such a problem because I think most people there, at least where we were in Taipei, we we taught in the English teaching business, right? So most people were very accommodating to, to those of us who struggled with Chinese. And uh, other than that, it was just, it wasn't, I didn't have a hard time getting used to things. It was just becoming established yes. in my work. That's what took time. How about you? Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I actually did a, an episode and a half about things that are still a little bit weird for me, but somehow I can live with it, you know, even things that are strange, the way people sometimes drive and the way people sometimes behave. I can accept most of those things. Yeah, it's not right. It's not, you know, 
we are adaptable things, uh, humans, you know, it, it's surprising That's what true. we can adapt to. Right, right. You just mentioned about the language. And uh, before we, we started this uh, recording with Lee, we did discuss kind of what we will talk about. I didn't mention this to Lee, but I'm going to ask him anyway. So uh, we both studied Chinese. I studied a little bit. You studied much more than me. And you even mm -hmm. got so far as that you could read. But I forgot, could you also write or was it just reading? Well, you know, writing, <laughs> if I have the character in front of me, I can, I can write it. I learned how to write, but that was so hard for me. And my, my writing was just horrible to look at as well. So, so reading probably because sometimes I have a passive personality. So reading was the thing I tended to focus on. And I think my, well, you remember when we went out to eat, right? At least I could read that Chinese menu. I could always read the menu at the beer house, yeah, right? True. So that's I could true. order from the menu and I, that was such an accomplishment for me. I felt that was, that was real life. I was so happy that I could do that. Yeah. And I was in awe because I, I can probably read about 10 characters and uh, just the, the easiest one. It was just incredible for me that you can you can order food for us off a Chinese menu, a menu only in Chinese. That was just incredible. And of course, then you also spoke much better than me. I remember once you and I were in a bar talking to some ladies and the, and the mm -hmm. one criticized my Chinese, which was never good. And you, uh, you protected me and you said, listen, we are, neither of us are perfect, but we try our best. Okay. So don't insult our Chinese. Try our best. And my, my speaking, I was never satisfied with my, I would get tongue tied. And I had some students who learned English and they were able to use idiomatic expressions effortlessly. Yes. Whereas I would study something sometimes. And then during a conversation, the right words would just delude me. And there would be these long pauses. And that, that was frustrating because I had studied it, but Sometimes it, it, the, the recall wasn't there, yeah. I guess. Uh, let's face it, it's, it's a difficult language, especially for a Westerner, because it's completely like, for example, if you decide you're going to learn German, it will be a little bit easier, right? But to, to learn like Mandarin is a, is, a, is a completely different world. Although when you learn Mandarin, I'm sh maybe you'll agree, sometimes it was, I'll use the word again, liberating to not have to worry about grammar so much. Because when you learn the other languages, German, Spanish, French, what have you, you have to think in grammatical structures all the time. Whereas when you speak Mandarin, the toughest thing for me was the tones, getting the tones right, and just speaking fluently. Yes. But at least grammar, you really didn't have to think about too much. So, so that was one good thing. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. A little bit, uh, a few minutes ago, you mentioned that you felt so happy because you could walk around anywhere in Taipei and you, you usually mm -hmm. felt safe. Now, right. you love photography, right? And I believe I on, these, on these walks of you, you often took your camera. What kinds of things did you, did you take pictures of? Sometimes it was just some abstract photos, just something that would catch my eye. Other times it was, I guess we, just on my walks in Taipei, yeah, it would just be maybe people working. Sometimes I would take pictures of people working and, and temples. I like to take pictures of temples too, because that's something you can't find in America for the most part. And, and I would like to share those photos with people back home. Or when I went outside of Taipei to small towns and they would Sometimes I would be there. The time I was there would coincide with some festival and I would take pictures of those things because yeah. that was interesting to people back home. So when I was taking pictures in Taiwan, I was always thinking about what would people back home like to see? 
Yes, I remember one 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 photo you showed us. You were you had a temple, and there were these. There was a parade, and these mm-hmm. temple workers were wearing these massive costumes. Right, you remember that? Good memory. Yeah, the face of some god, right? And then yes. you took a picture of this one guy, and what you didn't even realize when you took the picture is that the two holes for his eyes, he was looking straight at you. Do you remember that one? Right. Yes, I remember that picture. I had no idea it was. A girl I worked with at the university who looked at the pictures and she said, oh, I like that because you can see his eyes. And I said, what? And I looked at the photo closer and then I said, you're right. And I had no idea. But that was that was a good photo because it caught something that I had no idea was. Yes. It captured something that I had no idea was there. Yeah, because the, these guys who wear these massive heads of gods, they, they need some place to look. So they there's two little cut out holes for our listeners who are quite cannot quite place what we are talking about. And this is where these normal eyes will be, whereas way above him is the face of the god that he's wearing the costume. And those two little holes, they were looking straight, the two eyes were looking straight yeah, at him. Yeah. Now, if I recall, when I never saw you with a camera, by the way. Did you have a camera? <laughs> well, no. No, I, 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 I will take pictures from time to time, but usually when I travel or, or something like that. Can I just can I just say now? So is it safe to say that you are not a big fan of taking selfies of yourself? No, no, I do not like taking selfies. No. <laughs> okay, all right. Let's move on. Um, now, you mentioned earlier that you that you live in um, in uh, in Baltimore. Well, I live. I don't actually live in Baltimore. I live in the county northeast of Baltimore. No, or oh, in the state of Maryland, right? In the state of Maryland, yes, close to the Pennsylvania line. Right. Now, for the, our geography buffs, we'll know exactly where you live. Now, yeah, okay. uh, <laughs> your, your local baseball team there is the Baltimore Orioles, who unfortunately yes. for a few years have not been much of a, of a power in the league, but you still support yeah, them. It's and been I... about 40, 40 years. But... <laughs> <laughs> and because you support them, I, I, I also support them. So my, my summers are also disappointed or disappointing because they keep on losing. But we'll not talk about They're that. They're getting better. Time. They're getting better. Yeah, yeah. They're trying. At least they're trying. They this are, they so um, now you and I went to a baseball game here in Taiwan. So, right. and, you, and of course, you, you've been to many baseball games in America. So how will you compare the two feelings of, of watching a baseball game in America where I believe the standard is probably the highest in the world for baseball? And then watching a Taiwan game, which is, uh, I won't say it's an inferior game, but it's still a good baseball game, but the whole atmosphere is different, right? It is, yes. I, I would say the intensity level is different. You know, baseball in America is no longer the most popular sport, but it is a pastime. It's a pastime. So when they attempt to speed up the game or make it more exciting for 18-year-olds, I just think they're it's the wrong way to go. So it's during the summer. Sometimes even when you go to the game, you may lose focus for one or two innings. You know, you may, if you go with friends, you may be talking with a friend and you really have no idea what's going on in the game. That's just the nature of baseball. But those key moments bring you back into the game. So Taiwan, I felt that each moment was a key moment. It was intense the whole time, maybe because they don't play as many games maybe because the professional league was newer, or maybe it's just the character of the Taiwanese people. But the intensity, I thought, was at a higher level in Taiwan than in America overall, except when there's a key game in America. Yes. And they also, if only if you recall, when that game we watched here in Taiwan, 
They mm-hmm. have cheerleaders here. They have cheerleaders right. and chants, right? I, right, I sometimes, right. I've, I've since that day you and I went, I've been to a few games and I'm just astounded because virtually every batter, when he goes up to bat, he has his own little song or his own little chant and this the, the crowd will, will shout his little song. And I, I don't yeah, know how right. the guy can concentrate on, on, uh, on hitting the ball. It's just incredible. Like you say, very intense the whole time. In Taiwan, I can't remember. Maybe I don't know if you've been to a game in Taiwan recently, but do they have announcements in the stadium saying like everyone stand up and cheer or make some noise? Do they have those? They have that. The cheerleaders in front will get the people up and chanting the song or the the, the chant of this specific batsman, you know, okay. or this specific hitter. Because in America, I find it kind of irritating because people have to be coached oh, <laughs> to yeah. yes. to win to cheer. And, I was, yes. and and when I was a kid, I don't remember that being the case. It just happened naturally. naturally. Yes. There was an exciting moment in the game and fans would start to cheer. But now I feel like it, it's a bit more manufactured, the enthusiasm. Yeah. Yes. I, I think here the enthusiasm is real. People really, they enjoy like screaming and shouting. But as you say, because baseball... Yeah. yeah, baseball lasts a few hours, so there are there are times when you talk to the guy next to you, and maybe sure, yeah, yeah. that's the but nature you, of the game. You miss a ball or two, but but all in all, yeah, it's it's quite intense. Is there any team in Taiwan that you actually support? Well, when I first came to Taiwan, this was 1993. I remember I had a private student. Her uncle owned one of the local teams, wow. and I don't think that this team is no longer around. But it was the Wei Chuan Dragons. <laughs> Right. Wei Chuan Dragons and they gave she gave me the team jacket. Oh. Because because her uncle owned the yes. team. Yes. So for a long time that was my favorite team in Taiwan because I had that connection with the yes. students. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that's you you need some kind of connection before you choose a team, right? So because I have you, I chose the Baltimore Orioles in America. But here in Taiwan I don't really support one team, you know. No, I have a question for you because in Taiwan <laughs> <laughs> in Taiwan, baseball, of course, is very popular. The American influence is, is there. But you're from South Africa, the Southern Hemisphere. Cricket, cricket is the big game. So were you ever disappointed that there were not more opportunities to watch cricket the way people can watch baseball in Taiwan? Well, that's a very good question, sir. <laughs> what shall I say? Yes, I missed I missed a lot of the cricket, like the when we do the World Cups or when South Africa is playing another country like Australia. You know, you do feel like you are missing something. The best you can do is follow the scores online, right? But mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. end, like with most things, we, you adapt and make peace with the fact that you cannot have everything in life. You know, I'm here. I have a nice, I have a nice job. I, I'm secure. I'm happy. So I'm, I'm missing out on watching some cricket, but. But then, you know, just watch some baseball instead. So you get something, you know. Now what, your, what your listeners may not realize is that you actually did color commentary for a cricket match, right? Uh, a couple <laughs> of years ago? Yeah, they, just when COVID right? started, they, yeah, the whole world was locked down, but Taiwan was, was open. So the, right. an Indian website or an Indian gambling syndicate asked us to host mm-hmm. a tournament here. And it was, it was live on the internet. And I stopped playing by then, but... Um, they asked me to do the commentary. Yes, for the yeah, for you the, did the commentary, and and it was it was very good. You sent me a um, a video of it, and I watched it, and I was I found I, myself getting into the game. Thank you. You have tried to teach me on several occasions to cricket, and I and I understood it while you were telling me. 
but because they don't show it too often in America, the, the nuances of the game still elude me. But, well, that, that, that can be forgiven because that, let me tell you, there's a lot of rules, even more than, and baseball already has, baseball has a few little rules here and there that's hard to understand, right? But, right. but cricket has even more than that. So, so we, won't, uh, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> okay, now, Lee, you've been back in America now for how many years? I have been back since February 20th, 2020. This is 2020. Okay. So two, two, a little over two years. Two years two and, now. Two now, years and four months. You said you, you went back originally to, to help care for your mother. Yes. And, and what else? What, what else are you doing? Are you, are you working? Uh, I am. I just started last fall. I started teaching at a local community college. But right now it's on Zoom. I teach on Zoom. So I don't go there physically, which is kind of nice. I, I prefer teaching in person. I think you do as well. Yes. But with the way gas prices have gone up so much, I'm not unhappy that I can just teach yeah. from the comfort of my living room. Yes. And is this class, uh, is it online? Surely it's not because of the COVID virus anymore. Is that not? No, no, no. It started during COVID though. They, they did this, I think before COVID, they didn't have this option. But after COVID, when things like Zoom became popular. The students liked it because a lot of the students work all day and then they have families. I teach adult students, so they don't have time maybe to go to the class, but they can yeah. go home, cook dinner, and then get behind their computer and study English. Is it, is it, it's not a one-on-one -on -one class. Is it how many students? No, do no, it's, it's a class. It's a group. It's a it group. Is a group. Oh, okay. and, I, and, I, and I do that. I've been doing that since the fall. And of course, I started a podcast. <laughs> yes, I was just going to mention that. I was going to say you didn't mention this, but now you mentioned it. You started a podcast long before me, right? And can I just say before you, sorry, before you tell us about your podcast, I must first apologize because many years ago in Taiwan, in the beer house, which you just mentioned where you could read the menu, you said to me, let's start a podcast. And we can interview I'm glad people. you remember that. I'm glad you pointed that out. That saved me the trouble. <laughs> can I just say, can we just say, I was not too enthusiastic about the idea. <laughs> now I want no, to apologize. You just for waited that. for me to leave. <laughs> I, now I feel bad. But anyway, so okay, tell us about this podcast idea has been with you for quite some time, right? Well, if you recall at the time, my, my original plan back then was to have a podcast and I wasn't even sure that I would be the host. Yes. I was kind of thinking I would be in the background, be the producer maybe, and have you be the host because you have more experience in broadcasting. You have stronger opinions about things <laughs> than I do and you express them uh, without fear. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought you were perfect to be a host of a podcast. So yeah. that was my original idea. And it, it was hard because I would, when I was teaching at the university, I would be in Taiwan for eight months out of the year. And I would go home during the winter vacation in Taiwan and the summer vacation. So it was just hard for me to organize things going back and forth like that. So that's why I waited until I got back to America to start it. All right. Now, tell us a little bit about, so this podcast of yours uh, every episode is an interview, right? Yes, yes. Almost every episode, unless we have some time to fill, we'll do a mini episode where just the my co-host and I will discuss something. Right. But most of them are interviews. 
And it, the name of the podcast is Main Street. And that's yes. uh, one word, Main Street. <laughs> yeah. And I, I started that in January of 2021. All right. Yeah. So it's been running for a while. And who do you interview? Anyone. You know, Main Street for me is, it's more a metaphor than a geographical location. Just the idea of Main Street. I guess in in South Africa, do they use the term Main Street or do they say High Street or... No, Main Street. Usually it's Main Street, yes. Main Street. Okay. Yeah. Right. So the idea of Main Street appealed to me because it was during COVID that I started the podcast and it where you would see no one out on the streets. So in my mind, Main Street just conjured up these images of people shopping, doing things together, and just simple, pure enjoyment, you know, of being out and about. So I wanted to interview just regular people who live in the community. And it was also a way for me to reacclimate myself to American society because I really hadn't lived there for years. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah. I felt like a foreigner back in America and I didn't really know too many people. So this was a way for me to reacquaint myself with just American, small town American society. Yes. So we've spoken with politicians, uh, small business owners, writers, artists, just anyone that yes. wants to come on. Now, I have, I have listened to one or two of your episodes, but be, because your, your episodes are, like you mentioned to me, very local, right? It's your, in your, yes. I won't say you live in a village. You probably live in a small town. Is that right? It's a, it's a medium-sized town, actually, medium but it right. has small town roots. Yes. It used to be there. It used to be a farming community, but it's grown like yes. a lot of places. So you've had some of the local people on. I've listened to one or two. I especially like the episode where you... Uh, Talk to a lady. So I've done I've done seventy episodes, and you've listened to one or two, and I've, I think I've listened to all of your episodes. Yes, yes but I, that's okay. No, no, I'm I'm joking because it is very local. I don't expect. <laughs> I was just going to I was just going to say. Well, I've listened to one or two of yours. Have you listened to any of mine? <laughs> now you've answered all that. of them. Just all of them. That's all. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I know. No, I know you. You listen because when it, when you. When you enjoyed something a lot, you will send me a message to say you like this episode. But I remember that lady you talked about. I believe she was the head of your uh, historical society or something. And she That's said, right. And she's a cricket fan. She's a cricket fan. A, a, a woman in America who is a cricket fan. And um, and that was that was very interesting for me. And she then, contact. You know, you, she, she, she wanted to ask me some cricket questions, but either she yeah. lost my email or she found somebody else to answer the questions. Because in the end, she didn't contact me. Another uh, episode I like is when our listeners might not know this, but when Lee was small, he lived uh, across from or next to the manager of the Baltimore Orioles, which in those days is basically a celebrity, right? He's a celebrity. He's very famous in that area, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Earl Weaver. Yes. Earl Weaver. And because he's your neighbor, he sometimes gave you tickets. And basically, you lived next to a celebrity, right? I lived across the street. And... I, I was intimidated by him, so I was a kid, right? Yeah. But he was very gracious. Yeah. He was very nice. Uh, on the field, his demeanor was quite different. Yes. Uh, you can find videos of his style of managing online. He, was, he didn't always have a smooth relationship with the umpires, but as a neighbor, very gracious, very kind, and I have a lot of good memories, yes. And then, and then you had one episode where you interviewed his wife and daughter. Now, the daughter must... Right. That must have been like your almost your age. Was, was she your uh, my sister's a, a year younger than my sister? Close, close in age. Yes, close in age. So, so you had the two of them on your podcast, 
So here you were a little child living across the street from these famous people. But your, <laughs> I thought your first question was very funny. You said to them, so first of all, tell me, how was it for you to live across the street from the Moonies <laughs> in the 1970s? Which was, I thought, an excellent start. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I did enjoy talking to them. They made me feel comfortable. So I knew they would laugh when they heard that. Yes. And they still remember you, right? Yeah. Well, Kim, the daughter, the stepdaughter, she's a stepdaughter, yeah. actually. She's a good friend of my sister's. So I remain in contact with her. And the mother, she lives down in Florida now. But okay. uh, through Facebook, I, I contact her. Yes. All right. So in your life, right, because you've spent so many years of your life in Taiwan, do you think Taiwan has like affected your life in any way? I would say in almost every way. <laughs> just yeah. the way I look at the world is different from, I just think a lot of Americans, I'm sure this is, this is the case for Taiwanese who travel outside of Taiwan and come back to Taiwan. It's the same thing. It's just because your experience is different. Your perspective will be different. And, and I got used to living a very simple lifestyle in Taiwan because you and I, you know, we're, we were single. We, we made a decent living, but, you know, we couldn't couldn't afford a house in Taipei. You know, that's for that. Those things are there were beyond our budget, but we still live very well. Yes. So when I got back to America, because America is just different, I didn't really have the need for a lot of the a lot of possessions the way some people might right. growing up in America. Yes. So I, I guess in that way, it's different. Yes, yes. And if you think back about your time in Taiwan, is there anything that you would have done differently? For example, would you have gotten your master's earlier so you could teach at the university rather than a language school? Or are you happy with the way it went? Um, I probably, I, I can't say I'd change anything because it's just impossible. But if ideally, okay, here's, I, I was telling you before that in, every year I would go back twice a year, four months out of the year to be yes. with my mother, which yes. I would never change for the world, right? But because I did that, sometimes it was difficult to enjoy Taiwan to its fullest. And I think right before I left, if you recall, my, my semester ended in December and I left in February. So yeah. I had about eight weeks, six to eight weeks where I didn't work. And for the first time in a long time, I felt, wow, this is the Taiwan that I really like. I could travel very easily to other parts of yes. the island and just spend time with people. Of course, teaching gives you a lot of time, but you're always, it's also all consuming. So you also, you always felt that you had to prepare or you didn't want to take long trips. So, yes. Yes. so I think ideally I would have had a longer time where I didn't have to teach and I could have just gone around the island. Yes. That's all. And take How about you? Or do, you? do you have any regrets over, over the years? No, no. I, I um, Things just worked out the way, like you say, things work out the way they work out, right? Not much. We didn't make any massive decisions. Things kind of just happened around us, you know, and if things, and if things do happen, you accept it and, and you move on. It seems that way. Now, having yeah. said that, do you have plan? Where do you see yourself in five years or 10 years? Are you the kind of person who charts out their future or are you just no. going to see what happens? No, I'm just, I, I just thought about it the other day. You just mentioned our budgets when you were here. I, I, mm -hmm. I can't really afford to stop working, although some people of my age in the past retired already, right? But I decided right. I will probably have to teach at least for another 10 years or so. I'll just keep going, you know, because I'm not exactly working myself to death, as you know. <laughs> I, uh, 
I have a really light no, schedule. No, you've always had a lot of free time, if I recall, by design. <laughs> by design, yes. So, Are you still playing a lot of golf? Do you still no, no, no. The that? golf I had to cut down on because what happened is I, I got this, uh, I do some work on Saturdays. And for some reason, I, I belong to this golf group. And every Saturday they play, I have to do this other job. So I kind of left that that club, so to speak. And, uh, and we just played uh, less and less now, you know, because... As you know, golf is very, very expensive over here. So I, I kind of, yes, it is. I kind of um, wound back on that one. So I wanted to ask you this quickly: uh, Are you coming back to visit anytime soon? I hope so. But what are the current quarantine restrictions? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good question. Many people ask that. It's going to change in July. It's going mm -hmm. to. Uh, they are thinking about. At the moment, it's still seven days that you have to quarantine, but you don't have to do it in a hotel like before. But they're thinking of bringing it down to four days, I believe. Four days or three okay. days, something to that. And I, th and I think it will, as the time goes on, it will get shorter and shorter. Because at the moment, actually, our domestic infections uh, are higher than the imported ones. So I'm not sure how right. they can discriminate people coming in when, when locally that's, it's actually much more. So, so you will wait a little bit until things uh, level out, maybe, right? Right. And I, th I think I, I do plan a trip back, definitely. But I am waiting to see to make sure that there's no more outbreaks and no more spikes in cases where they make the quarantine restrictions more uh, stricter. Yes. So once international travel is again convenient and maybe less expensive, I don't know, yeah. uh, but I do plan to come back. I hope within the year. Okay, good. Now, before we go, just quickly mm -hmm. tell our listeners about any plans you have except coming back to Taiwan in the next year sometime. Any plans there in America, things that you are busy with or things you want to do? I am committed to 100 episodes of the podcast. At okay. present, we are on 71 or 72. Yes. That doesn't mean that I'm going to quit after 100. It just means I'm going to reevaluate and see whether I want to keep doing it. Yes. So, and I'll, and I'll keep teaching. It's a Zoom class. So even if I go back to Taiwan, I can continue yeah. the Zoom class, yes, yes. no matter where I am. And I, I have some other plans, but I, I won't get into it now. Yes. So I'm curious about your podcast. Are you committed to well, how many episodes? We, we are committed to 52 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like you say, it's not to say we're going to stop, but then we're going to reevaluate. Yeah. Okay. Because as you mentioned, when I asked you, how do you feel about your podcast? You said to me, it's another mouth that has to be fed. So uh, it really is. So do you do you have to find all your uh, interviewees or your guests yourself? Some people at this point contact us because we've been around a while. Yeah, that's good. So they will contact us through so social media. My co-host, he's been in that town for many years. He knows a lot of people. So some of the guests we've had are people he knows. Yes. And some people I reach out to, and most people are quite eager to come on. Yeah, so good. it's not that difficult finding people, yes. but it is another mouth to feed. And the hardest part for me is that you and I both love broadcasting. Yes. Right. So that part of it is quite enjoyable, but the promotion and you worked at a radio station before, but I, and I don't know what your duties were besides the broadcasting part, but when you're doing a podcast, at least in my case, maybe yeah. not yours, but you know, you have to do the promotion. You have to do the editing. You have to yes. do all of those things that, yes, Maybe I'm not as crazy about as the actual interviewing. Exactly, yeah. So I'm spoiled again because uh, my producer, Wallace, <laughs> you will do all that. 
I just do the talking yes. part. <laughs> and I, I need a Wallace. I need a Wallace. That's what I need. <laughs> That's what you need. <laughs> to do all that editing and all that promotion. Yes. Well, right. Lee, it was just uh, wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much for oh, your thanks time. Thanks for having me on. Yes. And uh, I hope um, everything goes well and you enjoy your stay there in the land of the free and that the, <laughs> that the Orioles will play better and better. Right. Continued <laughs> success with your podcast. Yes. And, and thanks again for coming on. Okay, everybody, that's the end of this right. episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, until we talk again next week, goodbye.